This morning's reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 9 to 17, which can be found on page 1649 of the Church Bibles. Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Jesus has been talking to Nicodemus about being born again in the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. We thank you for your word, in which are the words of salvation, the words of life. We pray that you would speak to us. It would be your words that we hear this morning, that our hearts would be open, that your spirit would be speaking. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, we're continuing our series through the um, nation's favorite, you know, is one of those top stories that people relate to and that they remember. And it's no surprise because... It's, it's something that you would see a placard waved up at almost every event, if you liked. You could see it uh, plastered over the sides of buildings, you can, more particularly in the States, I think. But it's still a, a verse, a word, a sentence that absolutely crystallizes what it is to be a Christian, what it is we believe. It's, it's helpful to so many uh, people because of what it says that it draws us into this world. And Christians keep plastering it. We keep putting it up and we keep talking about it because we want people to know. We want people to know this because it's really important. And what we want people to know is that they're loved by God so much that he gave his son that they could have eternal life. It's really significant, really important. And it's one question to start with, actually, is how do I know I'm loved? How can I know that I am loved? We usually know when someone loves us, don't we? Because we, they, we, they spend time with us. A colleague, a friend, a neighbor, a husband, wife, children, parents. We, we spend time uh, together with them. They may give us things. They may give us gifts, things to sign of love. Then, then what was it? We speak together in ways that are affectionate and lift us, and encourage us. We want to reinforce and build people up. 
people we are intimate with those we love, not just physically, but we share what's going on in this deep, dark part of our soul, that these things are happening to us, and, and we need to be able to share those, and that we can be intimate with people is a sign that they love us. But how can we know? How can we know how God loves us? We read, uh, thank you very much, Mo, for reading, because this story, this, these words are, are a comment on a story, an encounter uh, with one of the Jewish teachers, Nicodemus, and he's been intrigued by some of the things that Jesus has been doing. If you, if you read back through John 2 and the rest of the beginning of John 3, Jesus is doing stuff and they've never seen it before. They've never encountered anyone like this. What is he like? What is he about? And they're trying to get an angle on it. And Nicodemus comes in John's style of writing at night. He wants to, comes under the cover of darkness. He doesn't want to know other people to know that he's come to see. And Jesus reminds Nicodemus of the Moses story. And it's important that in their time in the desert, Israel's disobedience, Moses made a bronze snake. And everybody who looked at that snake uh, was healed. And that's the, uh, that's the important bit to hold together, that because Jesus says to them, in the same way, in the same way, just as Moses lifted the snake in the desert, it's important to have that as our reminder about how John is commenting on these things. John writes, for God so loved the world. And it helps us if we read that God was willing to heal his disobedient people when they had strayed from him. It also reminds us that in order to get an understanding, we sometimes need to look into the Old Testament for what Jesus would come to do. And I just want to look at this one verse in a little bit of depth. I'm not going to take forever, so some of you don't get too comfortable. There'll be other things to do later. But God so loved the world the Jewish nation, and particularly its teachers of the law, believed that God had chosen the Jews above everybody else, that they were superior to everybody else. They were God's chosen people uh, for good reasons. And we, If you read the Old Testament, you would find out that most of the time they were pretty poor or pretty powerless, one of the two, uh, and that did in them. That God had only chosen the Jews above all others, at the exclusion of all others. And there, I think there was a rabbinical prayer of the time. Thank God you've made, thank you, Lord, for not making me, I'm going to be careful how I say this, not making me a woman, a Gentile, or a dog. That was actually a rabbinical prayer that some of the sort of extreme guys that Nicodemus was working with actually held on to. They were so fixated. We are the top. That's it. And what Jesus says here about what they're like, and what John comments on is that God actually loved the world. And the world is all people, all of mankind, everything he's done. As we started this series on the nation's favorite stories, we began with Adam and Eve. And when he saw what he had made, it wasn't just good, it was very good. It pleased him. And of course, if something pleases us, we love it. We love it, and God loves all of those people he has made. And when we went through that story again, we looked at Jonah in the Old Testament, who didn't want to have anything to do with the people of Nineveh. They were no good. They deserved the trouble they were in, and they were nothing to do with him. They were a downtrodden. They deserved 
the mess that they were in. And God took Jonah to one side and said, didn't I make those people too? How dare you? Uh, Nicodemus, and, and, and we, we, can, we are confronted with God's love for other people. It's quite challenging, actually. Because as a body of people, about 100 of us here as adults, we possibly, it's possible, we don't always get on with everybody the way we'd like to. And actually, God's love is for all of us in this room. And it's for the people up and down the street and around the village. And it's important for us to hold on to that and be reminded of that. That God loves us all. And he doesn't love us like, like, like Nicodemus thought because we were something special. He loves us because he made us. And he loves people who haven't found him yet as well. It's unconditional. It's not based on something that people have done. It's based on his choice as God to love people. He chooses to love us. It's the love of a parent. And if you're a parent here, you'll know this, that sometimes your children wind you up. You know, I recall a certain time, well, I'm not going to tell too many stories, but, but where one, you know, one of them got locked in the bathroom while the other one was combing talcum powder into the cat. You know, you just, you just love them. I love my kids. And they can do all sorts of things, and it won't stop me loving them. Because they're my children. And God loves us like we're his. We need to be reminded of that sometimes. God loves us. And we need to have that same attitude. And when people mess up, we still are loved. In our last place was quite a challenging character. Alcohol was the main problem. And he was in and out of church. And he was quite, you know, he was fairly amenable when he was sober, and that's fine. Um, and we did the best that we could, you know, for him in you know, trying to nurture him and stuff. When he was arrested and charged for two murders, people still loved him. Some of our church went to court and watched the trial. Some of the church went to prison to visit him. Some of the church, when he was moved, still write to him. They learned to love him. Even though he deceived them and he was unlovable in many ways, they still said, this man is loved by God. And he needed us. He's a very powerful witness. It's not something I found easy to see them doing. I, th I thought they were in many ways crazy, but, but actually it was beautiful. That they were actually prepared to, to, to continue loving somebody. So it's important to have that kind of regard for people around us. He knew he'd messed up big time, big time, more than any of us could ever describe. And yet he still needed to know that he was loved so much. He gave his one and only begotten son. One of the mysteries of Christmas is not just what you're getting in your stockings, uh, but actually how do we understand God coming into the world? How does the word become flesh? How does God do that? And I'm not going to try and explain the Trinity today. You'll be relieved. That's why we all take Trinity Sunday off. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, God became man. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, God became like us so we could become like him. Beautiful idea, beautiful understanding. He actually pinched it from Athanasius. But it's important. God became a human being so that we could find and discover what it is to know him and be like him, how we were supposed to be in the beginning, because we mess up. 
and we constantly offend God, ourselves sometimes, and one another. And when we offend people, though that hurt, sin, or injustice gets in the way of our relationships. That when people upset us, it's not the same. We can't just sort out. Something needs to be sorted out. And our relationship with God is the same. We need to recognize that we do stuff, we harm ourselves. We, we inflict ourselves on other people. We, we, we hurt and insult him sometimes. And we need to put that right. And sin is church than we're supposed to be, that, and that separate us from God. And God gave his son to put it right. God came as Jesus to put it right because he doesn't want that separation. As much as he loves us, he can't be in the same place as something that's sinful. The two don't go together. They can't be in the same place. His holiness is too great and burns against sin. How can I be with God if my sin is in the way? It's not just a religious idea. Even Socrates in a moral universe recognized that we die physically for the sins of the body, but there's a judgment afterwards for the sins of the soul. Jesus is the answer that Socrates was looking for. And God sent Jesus to step in that gap, to stand and represent perfect humanity in place of imperfect people. He wasn't just a man, he was the son of God. His life was perfectly obedient to his father, even to death, which we are not. And death, you ever comprehended that God had to allow death to happen? Jesus is the creator of life. He had to allow death to take him for us because his sacrifice makes us at one for everything that we've done and everything we will do in our lives. He was perfectly obedient to it. Sometimes we struggle with that. It makes God sound mean. Uh, so Steve Chalk wrote a very famous comment about 20 years ago, God the cosmic child abuser. But what we read in the scriptures is that Jesus, though he knew it was difficult, picked up that role willingly. The Messiah, this Christ figure, in the, that is predicted, that Israel was waiting for. In the Psalms, we read Jesus picking up this theme. Sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you didn't require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God, and your law is within my heart. Even long before, People were waiting for somebody who would come willingly to stand in our place. And we can struggle with that. But we also live two miles from a barracks where men and women willingly risk their lives. And we honor it. We honor it. We, in November, we made a, a huge remembrance about this, that people are willing to give their lives. It challenges us. So let's not be casual about who Jesus is and what it cost. Because what he offers is free to us. It cost him everything. Fully man, fully God, came to represent us, came to take our burdens, came to pay for our sin. Hard to wrestle with, difficult to get our head round, but the sweetest 
music to our ears. So that whoever, the verse continues, these words continue, whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't only live a perfect life, he experienced death. It's the, it's the consequences of sin, the death. It's, that's part of the Genesis story. That our desire, our rebellion to take things into our own hands leads us away from the God who wants us to live. That we, we face the consequences of our decisions. And yet, Jesus' resurrection shows that God accepted Jesus' offering of himself. Thousands of people were crucified. Thousands of people have died for us in various different ways, but only one came back. Only one Jesus said, you know, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. He offers this to his disciples, to those who choose to follow him, to those who want to have his likeness in them, as Bonhoeffer hoped. We would become more like him. But it's to those who believe that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. Only the most ardent atheist and cynic would deny that Jesus was a real person. Most historians would consider it folly, foolishness, to deny that Jesus was a real person who lived, that people other than the Bible writers wrote about. But to believe in someone is to listen to what they said. We can't divorce belief in Jesus Christ from the things he said because we know a person through the way they explain who they are. Our knowledge of a person is mediated through his words. The things that Jesus said explained who he was, what he came to do, and why he came to do it. And so belief in him is the beginning of life itself, eternal life. So when we step into that moment, when we nobody has got the things that you have. I haven't got them, you haven't got them, only Jesus has got them. When we step into that space and say, Lord Jesus, help me believe. I want to trust you. But when we take his words seriously, then life really begins. And then we find that when we take his words seriously, we encounter a way of being, personhood, that is not something we could have done ourselves, that is beyond what we think is possible, that takes us to places, emotional places, places of understanding and places of endurance, in which we find that God is at work in our lives. Some of us might think, well, we're not good enough for that. Why would God poss possibly bother to do it? Some of us don't have the lie that actually we can't be forgiven and therefore we can't possibly be loved. Some of us think it's a trap, that there's some cost that I'm going to pass a, I'm going to pass a bucket round for money shortly. But it's not. It's God's gift of himself that starts at Christmas and, be, and ends. Well, it doesn't end really, but it carries on at the resurrection of Easter Sunday. Some of us for all your sin. Everything in your life that's gone wrong and it could go wrong, he's going to deal with, he's dealt with at the cross. 
And so we find a life, an eternal life, where we will be like him. That's what 1 John 4 promises. We can live like him, and we discover that love of God in a deeper, authentic, meaningful way. We find that God longs to spend time with us because he loves us. We find that God gives us gifts. Sometimes he gives us what we need materially, but mostly, mostly he's giving us what we need. Those spiritual gifts to to endure, to encounter, to be real in a world that's battering us all the time. To overcome. Sometimes we find he speaks to us in ways that are affectionate and loving and lift us and encourage us. Remind us who we are and who he is. Sometimes we realize he can do things for us. That he shares the load of what we bear. That he helps us shoulder things that we didn't think we could manage. And sometimes we just find somebody with whom we can be intimate and share things and say, Lord, find a God who loves us so much. He gave himself that we might have eternal life. Should we just be still for a moment? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. That's Paul writing about God's grace shown to him, shown to us 